Hello and welcome to episode 253 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and as usual, I've got Tony with me here today. Hey, T, how's it going? You know, it's funny as you said, it's episode 253, and I was like, we had episode 250 and we didn't even make any big deal about it. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, we, we didn't. Yeah. Well, we'll wait for episode, maybe, um, I don't know, 300, I guess. Maybe yeah, that'll be next whatever. year. We don't need any fanfare. <laughs> sure. We always do. We do, Tony. We do. Yeah. But anyway, um, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about uh, our new website layout? Website layout. So many of you probably don't even know what waterstechnology.com is. You probably just listen for, you know, the conversation and everything. And it's because you're all a bunch of cheapskates. It's fine. You know, no big deal. We, this is why we do the podcasts. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we like to exp- expand our audience. Um, we've made some uh, user interface redesigns to make, uh, I should be able to explain this much better simply because I've been briefed on it by the technology team that we have and also because I write about technology. But basically, yeah, when you scroll through our website, we hope that we are able to make it easier for you to find our best stuff. So, Mm. for example, Wei Shen, again, I don't know how many of you actually that are listening come to our website um, and are subscribers. It costs a lot of money. We like to think it's worth it. Hope you do too, but whatever. Our subscribers do and our revenues are going up every year. So anyway, it must be okay. Uh, (laughs) We're still getting paid, so yeah. Exactly. No one's fired us yet. Not yet. Yet, Not just yet. (laughs) Uh, I'll point out four stories. Uh, we were the ones that broke the news last year about a consortium of banks led by City and Bank of America that they were creating what was called then Project Octopus. Um, and no one else had it. Bloomberg embarrassingly wrote a really bad story about it a week after we published ours. It was sad. I felt bad for them, you know, how the money have fallen. Um, no big deal. Uh, and so we have a follow-up story on that. Um, Project Octopus is now called, and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of it, but it's Octora, Octora, O-C-T-A-U-R-A, Octora. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would pronounce it Octora. And the breaking news there is that it's going to kill off Bank of America's instinct platform and City's velocity trading protocol. You can read about that stuff. Uh, We have a year ago as well. uh, We wrote a story that Market Access Trade Web and Bloomberg. um, Bloomberg didn't write about this, obviously. uh, (laughs) um, That they were coming together, that they were potentially coming together to deliver a, um, a, a regular to back consolidated tape for bonds in the European Union. We broke that story last year. We were the first ones to report on that. Uh, they put out a press release just recently that, yes, they are doing that. Mm-hmm. Again, if you would have read us in November of 2021, you would have known it. Um, so, again, 
I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm pimping our coverage right now. Uh, we have another story, you know, FDC3 creator, FDC3 being the desktop app interoperability protocol. A guy named uh, Nick Kolba created it. Uh, we got an exclusive with him about this new company that he's setting up. And so he created this this FDC3 desktop app interop protocol. He wants to take it off of the desktop. He wants to take interoperability off of the desktop, put it to the cloud. So really good story there that we have. Good exclusive. And uh, I myself spoke with David Gurley. Uh, he's the creative creator of Perizo, which became Symphony, Symphony Communications. Um, and about, uh, so he recently left Symphony. Um, and so I spoke with him about his new visions and he's going into, he's looking at distributed cloud storage and compute with this new company has called Hive. Mm -hmm. I would also like to say, this is just me talking, but some people, Gave me a little shit on the side and said, you know, you know, Tony, you've written so critically of Symphony, you know, and then all of a sudden you kind of write this fawning piece. And specifically, um, there was a tweet put out here. Hold on. I think I pulled it up where I put out. Uh, this was a gem by Waters Tech Editor in Chief Anthony Maliki. And they used my my Twitter handle uh, in case you missed it. Gurley, quote, Gurley's track record, in my opinion, establishes his bona fides as someone to be taken seriously and thus makes Hive worthy of examination. And people were like, oh, my God, why are you kissing their ass? Why are you? I was like, listen, can you not understand that I am? I, David Gurley has to be taken seriously. Like, he created Symphony. Like, he created Perizo, which created Symphony. If you don't take them seriously, then then I don't I don't understand you. You could say like Symphony didn't quite fulfill its promise, but it's still a very big company in our space, obviously, and it's still growing. So it's like I don't know that all pissed me off. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know what I was talking about, Weishan. Um, so how about we just talk about uh, the guests that I, that we have today? You can go to waterstechnology.com. To read those excellent stories. By the way, it's 1 a.m. my time here in New York. It's only 1 p.m. in. Yes, uh, but you you do know that you choose to to speak with me at this time, right? You do you do choose to record do the recording around this time, because I adhere to your time. <laughs> I am the editor in chief yeah. of this publication, so of course we listen to my time. Yeah, anyway. so you cannot complain all, all the time, 100% of the time that it's a 1 a.m. It's 12.30 a.m. because you choose this I'm time not, specifically. I'm not necessarily complaining. I just want people to feel sorry for me is all. I'm looking <laughs> for temper. <laughs> okay, that's besides the point. So tell us about our guest this week. We have a great guest this week. And so this is all to say, the podcast, <laughs> we like to get fun people on, people that are going to discuss some of the things that we're writing about water technology and talk about it perhaps in a different way and we have that this week uh, we have andy voles he's the chief operating officer at clear street uh clear street is a startup some of you might not be as familiar uh with them they're kind of a broker dealer capital markets infrastructure player um 
born in the cloud, really heavy into the cloud. So, you know, when I was talking about David Gurley and, and Hive and what they're doing in the cloud space, when we're talking about um, FDC3 and Nick Colba and them moving desktop app or desktop app interoperability into the cloud, similar thing that's happening here. We're talking about new companies that are developing in the cloud for capital market solutions and to improve capital markets infrastructure. Whether or not ClearStreet succeeds or not, we'll see. But mm. we have uh, Andy on to discuss some of the trends that are happening in the market. Um, and so it's, it's not like a pitch for ClearStreet or anything like that. It's we, we try and really get into what are the trends that they're hitting on. So hopefully people enjoy it. Cool. Let's get to it then. Let's go. All right, and now I am joined by Andy Voles of Clear Street, uh, Chief Operating Officer. Andy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So for those who might not be familiar, uh, why don't you give a little bit about your background and then a little bit about what it is that Clear Street's uh, looking to do? Sure. So my, my background is fundamentally in, in two areas, in financial technology and in traditional finance uh, trading and prime brokerage. So I started my career in electronic trading. I did a few things in portfolio management, mainly for hedge funds, uh, cloud-based risk management, primarily for, for corporations and corporate treasuries, and then ultimately uh, the last 12 years in prime brokerage. So prime brokerage is servicing generally alternative asset managers, providing them with trading, clearing, uh, securities financing, and technology. So that's fundamentally what prime brokerage is. Uh, ClearStreet is is a reimagination and a rebuild of the technology that allows customers to access the capital markets and primarily access the public capital markets. So if you were to go pretty much anywhere but ClearStreet today and trade a stock, that stock is going to move between whoever you bought it from, for example, and you on technology that was mainly built in the 80s and 90s and has been rebuilt and kind of layered on since then. Think, uh -huh. you know, metal on racks, cobalt mainframes. Uh, and the reason it hasn't been rebuilt is it's like, you know, taking the engine out of an airplane while the airplane's flying. I mean, these are critical systems that move trillions of dollars a day in securities. So yeah. ClearStreet is, is really, in my opinion, the first at scale attempt to rebuild this in modern tech in AWS and Kafka and Kubernetes, so in, in modern frameworks and protocols. And the reason I say scale is, you know, we're currently trading between, clearing between one, one and 2% of the US equity market on this technology for around a thousand customers. So the technology is in place in the market, currently servicing a prime brokerage business and a professional trading business. But our thought is that uh, obviously core clearing touches a lot of other, what we'll call personas. And we see that platform expanding into a lot of other areas, fintechs, market makers, and just generally anyone that needs access to, to public equity markets, public equity, fixed income, any security market globally. Okay. So the company itself is founded by, you know, people come from the electronic trading, the high frequency trading world, Chris Pento, Sashin Kumar. Um, and so you have five years at Jones Trading, four years at Wells Fargo Securities. Um, 
Chris recently said this, uh, we found a clear street to replace the outdated tech infrastructure uh, being used across capital markets. Let's delve into that without talking about what clear street does per se. Where are the bottlenecks? What is the problem with modern day capital markets technology infrastructure? I would say that the main problem is rooted in scalability. Meaning if we saw what happened in, in the equity markets during COVID, during meme stocks, these systems aren't set up to scale to you know, 150%, 200% of volume. And that scalability leads to poor access to data. You know, our customers succeed by knowing what their positions are, knowing what their risk is. And that's all data-driven. And when you have legacy technology that's you know, based on batch processes, you'll often on a busy market day, and our, our founders saw this in, in real life, and that's why they decided to build Clear Street. When you're used to getting your positions, your margin, your risk at seven in the morning, and it's coming at noon or coming at two, that seriously impacts your business, whether you're an RIA, a hedge fund, an HFT. So access to data in, in every business today, but I think in particular in, in public equity and public debt markets, is critical to success and the legacy infrastructure has issues honestly when uh it's most critical when the market's busy uh, and that's just one one component of it there are others but i'll, I'll stop there if you want to dig in on that let's yeah let's dig into just a little bit so you, you talk about poor access to data i would say that a big problem facing every firm right now is there's there's almost too much data out there it can be a bit overwhelming so this is a theme that we talk a lot that we write a lot about at water technology we, we posted a, a, an article about how context is king now so there was a time where you wanted more and more data more and more data and cloud allows you to bring in that data new data delivery mechanisms like using apis allow you to tap into new data sources there's more data being created uh, things like machine learning ai tools allow you to break down that data but providing context around that data is what is key now for whether you are a technology provider, a broker, mm -hmm. uh, a, a portfolio manager, whatever the job is in the capital markets, is providing context to sift through that seed data. So if the infrastructure in the capital markets is poor and there's poor access to data, but where do you think that the broker community by and large is struggled to provide actionable insights and transparency into their own businesses uh, for their clients? Where, where's the broker community, when it comes to that kind of context being so important around the data, where do you think that they're, that the, the capital markets have kind of failed, the broker community's kind of failed? You know, I think it's a little more core than that. When you say, I agree with you, access to too much data can become noise, right? When you're trying to create a trading strategy and you're trying to include another factor, another data source, I'll try to use another industry analogy. So you're an airline and you're trying to figure out what, what routes to run mm -hmm. and how to be profitable. Now you can use satellite images, machine learning, AI to try to optimize. So that's an optimization input. But if at nine in the morning, your, your, your systems are down and you don't know who's supposed to be getting on the plane, right? That's a big problem. So the yeah. core, there's core infrastructure, which is where ClearStreet plays. And then there's this explosion in, and growth in financial data, which is, like I said, the business inputs, the machine learning, the, the the data screens, the satellite data. So what we're solving is more that core 
every night you go home and when you come back in the morning, you need to know what you own or what you're short. And if your trade settled and what your risk numbers are, it's it's the which passengers are getting on the airplane more than it is the optimization. And not that both sides aren't equally important. And I completely agree with you that the optimization data, I mean, every fundamental firm at this point has some data analytics involved in their process. But what we're what we've set out to solve and are solving is that more core layer, that basement layer. What did I trade? What do I own? What are my risks? And in, you know, as we've seen acutely in the last few years, the current technology is struggling to satisfy that. And again, it's, it's, it, it, it's maybe a symptom of what you're talking about. There's more high frequency. There's more, there's more data driven challenges and firms are still struggling to get their data from that legacy tech. And, and sorry for the analogy. I thought if, if it didn't make good I, sense. I think it, I think like a plane that landed, you know, it was clean. It was good. No crash landing there. It's fine. Right, um, let me ask you this then. So in the industry, what we are seeing is obviously if you were going to build a company as you guys have um, launched in 2018, you would make it cloud native. You would, you would incorporate the technologies of the cloud. So you have startups that are entering into the space that, are you know being able to start with a clean slate look at the the latest greatest technologies every other firm is you know delving into the cloud and so you see massive investment by jp morgan goldman sachs you know name any major investment bank they're certainly going to be in that space and then you know the banks that have kind of tech arms where it's like state street or your blackrock aladdin stuff like that everybody's making massive investment into re-architecting their platforms for the cloud. What is the advantage of being born in the cloud over those systems that do have track records? So so you talk about legacy technology, but there's also a reason why there's, yes, it is, you know, you don't want to change an engine in mid-flight. Yes, there's that, but there's also tried and proven systems that, that work. So what is it that you feel that being born in the cloud it creates a different kind of advantage from these ones that are re-architecting their platforms to be uh, cloud enabled. It's probably a better question for Sachin, but I'll do my I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> I think that it's not just the cloud; it's also the fact that we're built in, in microservices that allows us to change components of the technology out more easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've read a lot of the same articles and a lot, seen a lot of the same announcements that Fidelity's going to the cloud, you know, Goldman's working on cloud. I, some, I'm not gonna name names, but one of those firms said it would, they were starting in 2025 and it was gonna take them 10 to 15 years to do so. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not just moving traditional applications into the cloud, it's re-architecting them into things where you can have seven releases a day, like we can do here at ClearStreet or 10 releases a day versus one release a year or two releases a year. It's The cloud is a component of it. And the cloud, I think it's, is very valuable for scalability, for cost efficiency, we don't have to overscale our technology because someday the market might be 15 billion shares instead of eight and we can scale horizontally and use those those native efficiencies it's it's everything about a modern architecture from cloud to protocols to languages to microservices versus mainframes and i think again to your point everyone's investing in cloud but they have to move each individual component of their system into a, a modern deployment and i think that's harder than just saying you know our database is now in the cloud okay let me ask you, and so we talked about the technology that ClearStreet's built on, but moving away from ClearStreet, looking at the broader trends in the market, 
what are the greatest challenges facing the trading community? I get that you you guys are going to try and solve these challenges, but what do you feel right now are the inefficiencies in the market that currently exists? Um, the, the, the greatest challenges that you see, I guess. And obviously it goes without saying that you're looking to solve for these, but to, just more from a trend perspective. You know, I, I think again, legacy technology makes it very expensive to run these businesses. Mm -hmm. So you don't have a lot of new entrants. And because you don't have a lot of new entrants, when you have incumbents leave, as we saw with a couple of prime brokers recently shutting down for other systemic issues, you have things like you have regulations, like potentially getting away from PFOF, which say what you want about payment for order flow provides a lot of liquidity and provides liquidity based on, you know, technology focused firms, the market makers. So I think that technology and regulation are, are, or lack of technology or lack of innovation in technology and regulation are, are systemic threats to liquidity within the public equity markets, liquidity both on the financing side and on the execution side. And we're already, we're already seeing some of that play out today. Uh, we're, we're, we're back into a rising interest rate environment that impacts liquidity on both sides. But to me, and again, the reason that, that I thought Clear Street was so compelling and, and so interesting is that legacy technology causing you know these businesses to be expensive to enter and expensive to operate impacts liquidity in the marketplace and liquidity is critical to the investment process. Explain to me, not just for me, but for our listeners that might not be as familiar with this subject, but why is, how does, does legacy infrastructure add to cost for the end user? More expensive to maintain, uh, more expensive to uh, set up, you know, traditional infrastructure. Again, if, if, if you compared our cloud-based hosting bill to, again, another clearing firm clearing a similar amount of volume that was in traditional data centers with traditional metal on rack equipment, I would assume our cost structure is dramatically less. And that's even considering that we scaled our volumes last year by 500%. We were able to do that by just adding, again, cloud resources. Um, I, I think it, it allows us to build more efficiently and kind of scale just in time, which as we've known kind of since, you know, uh, manufacturing became a thing is, is the right way from a cost structure. Um, again, that's, that's the main thing. It's, not and that's also the reason that you don't see a lot of new prime brokers you don't see a lot of new clearing firms come to market it's very hard to find the combination of, of cloud thought leadership like sachin has and the deep tribal not knowledge that chris pento has and get those two people to agree to come together and form a company and that's honestly what i think the biggest moat is to someone coming in behind clear street and doing another clear street it's hard to get those two different disciplines to see eye to eye is there something that's fundamentally changing? So I w we were talking with um, this guy, Nick Kolba, and he created the uh, FDC3 uh, protocol for interoperability. Um, while he was at OpenFin, he's starting a, a new company now. But I was speaking with him recently, and he talked about that, what he likes to call this kind of um, this failure of imagination, really, to innovate in the capital markets. Everybody... You know, it, it, and especially when it comes to technology, there's that old saying, but it's it's still it still holds true that you don't get fired for, you know, using an IBM rack. Right. You yep. know, you, you'll never get you'll never lose your job for choosing IBM. 
And so there are people that are kind of afraid to take that leap, that next step. And so we were talking with David Gurley, who created Perizo, which became Symphony uh, Communications. And now he's trying to create a cloud company, but you doing the cloud differently where um, he has a bunch of companies buy in and basically taps into unused GPU power um, sure. to kind of create like a marketplace in, in many ways of GPU power, computing power and storage. So is there something that's fundamentally changed that that is changing the markets because it would seem to me of cloud um, because of new technologies, the democratization through open source tools around, you know, you mentioned Kubernetes, but around like, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, stuff like that, that mm -hmm. is makes it more viable today to create a startup to get past that fail, you know, kind of failure of imagination, that failure of innovation that's always kind of existed in the capital markets. Hence why the capital markets are so far behind when it comes to cloud compared to healthcare, let's say defense and other, you know, kind of more forward looking industries. I think it's actually what you said earlier that that the the customer base and the clients uh, who historically have been you know, more traditional money managers, I would say, and had more of a fundamental approach now probably do have a more data driven approach. So our, the customers are asking for more data and we've seen mm -hmm. that just in in adoption and, and surveying the market. And honestly, all of us here being customers of the capital markets. I mean, I was a customer of a large clearing firm uh, at Jones, the, la the last firm that I ran or helped to run. Um, and then I think also we, we like to use that term failure of imagination as well. And I think it's also just, again, the, the duration of a project at a large bank, whoever starts it to replace everything that's there with something that looks and feels like Clearstreak, that person is likely not going to be in that role, whether that role was CTO or, or COO or whatever that role was when the project has finished. And we've heard from a lot of people that does, that doesn't create the right incentives to take on a project like this. Uh, I also think everyone's excited about blockchain and what blockchain is likely going to do to clearing within the U.S. equity market. So I think a lot of probably resources, and we've seen a lot of companies that have come to market to try to take that approach versus a traditional clearing approach like we have. But you still have the DTCC and the NSCC and the OCC here in the U.S. and Euroclear and the other exchanges and clearing house, houses globally that are clearing 100% of the equity markets. So we've planned our technology and Sachin being forward thinking has planned our technology, you know, to have 18 or 19 decimal places, whatever you need to deal with, you know, clearing on Ethereum, but the markets are still cleared through clearing houses. So you have to build, you know, a Kafka and Kubernetes and AWS, AWS based system that connects to DTCC. And that's just the merging of, of, of multiple Worlds, but I do think that the excitement around and what has changed is that the excitement around new technology has made us able to recruit developers that would traditionally not look at, you know, a traditional finance company. Sure. But we still had to build the guts of the financial system in modern tech. It wasn't like we snap our fingers and we're clearing two percent of the U.S. equity market on the chain. It's just there's another there's many more steps before that can happen. So let's let's look at. Uh, blockchain for a little bit. I myself and my opinion should definitely never matter on anything. Um, <laughs> uh, many of the people I speak with are not as gung-ho about distributed ledger technology the way it seems like there's really two camps. There's evangelists and there's 
those that just think that this is just a glorified database that's being people are calling it DLT or people are calling it blockchain, but they're then bastardizing it because it's got to conform to the highly regulated and market structure uh, challenges of the capital <clears throat> markets. So when we talk about clearing and settlements, you know, to me, I don't see I don't see how a blockchain system can handle that kind of scale and why it's worth replacing what many I think would say isn't necessarily a broken system from a technology standpoint. It's a broken system from a market structure standpoint. And that that doesn't need to be solved with a brand new technology like blockchain that's still largely untested in the capital markets. Obviously, there are, there are, there are certainly uses, use cases for blockchain, especially in the world of crypto, especially in the world of digital, digital assets, things like that. But for clearing and settlement of the equities market, let's say, I think that there are naysayers that say that this is not the this is a, this is a hammer looking for a nail. Why would you say that those people are wrong, or they're just maybe there's a failure of imagination there? No, I, I actually I would agree with you. I, I'm not. I, I wouldn't sit here and advocate that all equity clearing should be attempted to move to the chain. I'm first of all not an expert in it either. Again, my background is more traditional, um, in the traditional capital markets sure. and. You know, I, I I worked for some early cloud firms as well, which kind of gave me an appreciation for it. But yeah. I definitely wouldn't sit here and say that we tomorrow we should start clearing all U.S. equities on 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 blockchain. As you said, I agree. I think there are applications for it. I think areas like securities lending are are very uh, ripe, or, or or there are some great opportunities to optimize SEC lending and modernize SEC, some functions of securities lending with blockchain. But again, a lot of firms have come and tried, and as you also pointed out you're dealing with incumbent players and an incumbent data model that makes it very hard to do that yeah okay and market structure i agree I, with you forgive, no forgive me for for misunderstanding but i'm happy that we got to kind of clarify that just so we're so that our, our audience is on the same page going back to cloud then so we see as, as we mentioned we talk about companies that are you know they're moving more and more workloads to the cloud. You know, we wrote uh, that article about Fidelity there. They're at 98% of their workloads for the asset management arm has been moved over uh, to AWS specifically. And, you know, we asked them about, do you not worry about vendor lock-in in many ways? And I think that's going to be a big conversation as we go forward here, right? That you have AWS, you have Google Cloud, you have Microsoft Azure. Never before have we seen three companies have so much power yeah, over the infrastructure of the capital markets, and you have the CME is partnering with um, Google um, to move their entire exchange to the cloud, even matching, even multicasting. You have Nasdaq doing the same thing with AWS. I have to believe that there will be other exchanges that will make very similar deals with these three. For as you're talking with uh, prospective new uh, clients, and they bring up that idea of vendor risk of AWS East goes down and you're in the cloud. How do you answer those questions about uh, outages around uh, vendor lock-in risk you know, of using an AWS? I mean, our answer would be that we believe AWS is fundamentally more secure from a cyber and security perspective. Sure. Uh, fundamentally more scalable and fundamentally more reliable than, again, a system that is based on servers and mainframes and batch jobs that is very complicated to update and very complicated 
to maintain. And I think to your point about everyone seems to be moving to one of those three providers, the market in general believes that. I do also, I do agree that when you build a firm, you should make it flexible to be able to use any of those providers or a private cloud or, you know, to be be flexible in, in how you deploy. And you never want to be in general too dependent on any one vendor or any one product, um, I would agree. But again, our, our basic answer would be that we think Amazon invests probably a lot more in, in, in security and reliability and scalability than, than any one company can. And again, I think that market's demonstrating by the majority of firms trying to move to, and that's Amazon, Google, Microsoft, or whoever the next IBM, whoever the next public cloud provider is. Okay. And to wrap things up, uh, so um, earlier in May or late May, um, uh, you guys announced the 160 million uh, funding round, uh, Series B funding round. Give us, uh, you know, for for users, for where is that investment going to go? What, from a technology perspective, from you know maybe um, an expertise perspective, where, what are the next stages as this company you know turns from four years old to five years old, six years old? So predominantly into engineering. We are only clearing U.S. equities and options today. We have a short-term roadmap to get to U.S. fixed income, but our goal is to go every asset class and globally. We have you know about 100 en engineers on the team today. We're looking to at least double that in the near term. So we see the money as supercharging our growth. And what supercharges our growth is markets, asset classes, and products. And to do that, we need to hire and scale the entire organization, but predominantly on the engineering side to build those products faster. Our customers are happy. Our customers are asking us for more products. We want to satisfy that as quickly as possible. All right. Very good. Well, Andy, I appreciate you taking the time and chatting with us about uh, cloud and what uh, Clear Street's doing. Thank you. It's really nice, Anthony. I appreciate it.